Well, today is January 1st, right? So with January 1st comes all sorts of fun things, resolutions and whatnot. I don't, I'm not sure your opinion of those and, what, and to what degree you do that. But if there's one way I wanna challenge us as a church with this new year, it's with the words of Psalm 46.10. Of all the verses in the Bible, the Lord has brought this to the top for us this morning. Be still and know that I am God. Now this statement is monumentally different than last night's celebrations. I'm not sure where you were, what you did for New Year's Eve. I was sleeping. But <laughs> some of you might have had fireworks. Maybe you had uh, watching TV, watching concerts. I uh, had just, I don't know, a good time, right? And yet here we have this clear statement, be still and know that I am God. And it is a great juxtaposition because it's a pause on what we would have done last night. And I wanna challenge us in this. There's no greater commitment to begin the year than one that is determined to know God more deeply and more fully. Just about knowing God in our lives uh, is, is uh, like knowing about him, I would say is not, not good enough. I wanna challenge you to know him, to, to really know him the way that you would know a friend, uh, to know someone that you love. And that requires being still. We live in an age in which stillness is a lost art, and our spiritual livelihood suffers most of all. So how about you? Do you feel still before the Lord? This morning, we're going to talk about what it means to be still before the Lord, what it means to know him as our God, and to allow us to answer these questions, we're going to look at Psalm 46. So let's read the whole chapter, and then we will talk through it as we go through. So Psalm 46, if you have your Bibles, turn there, and, uh, and if you see words that stand out to you, you know, that's your moment, use your pen and you, you circle it or you highlight it if it's on your phone, allow yourself to be a, an active participant in the word of God. Otherwise, it just goes in one ear and out the other, unless you're just a fantastic listener. Psalm 46 starts off this way. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then if you have a Bible like mine, it says Selah next to it kind of means rest or pause. We don't actually really know what it means, but it's in a lot of the Psalms, so it's a pause. Verse four, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And again, Selah. And in verse eight, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And then this is a quote. This is God's word to, the, to us as readers. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Close quote. The last verse is, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This is very similar to uh, songs we sing today in which there's some repetition because that last verse was also verse seven. So throughout the psalm, in this psalm, 
we see that spiritual stillness is the practice of recognizing who God is, what God does, and our ability to find absolute fullness in him, not ourselves. Uh, Good word, Neil, fullness earlier. Uh, Because it was about an hour ago, I was praying on this and re-looking through, and that word that I had there originally, I changed. And I thought, the Lord wants us to recognize our fullness in him. So how about that, man? Let's talk through spiritual stillness and what this is. Using this chapter, we see that spiritual stillness begins with the first word of this entire chapter. It begins with God. It doesn't begin with us. We like to put ourselves in the middle of our story. It begins with God. It includes his attributes, specifically refuge, strength, and a present help. Now, I love the word our in this verse because his attributes are not disconnected from his creation. His attributes are not disconnected from our experience to him. We are recipients of his attributes. We understand what his attributes mean. We know what it means for him to be our refuge or to be our strength or to be our present help because we experience those characteristics in our time of need or in our time of desperation or in our time of no energy or whatever might be a contrast to strength, the lack of strength. Similar to the words of Jesus where one who has been forgiven much understands the depth of his forgiveness so we can understand God's strength and help and present help and, uh, and, and, all the, and the refuge and all these words because we get to uh, be recipients of that characteristic. So we study this idea of spiritual stillness and we recognize that it begins with God and it begins with his attributes. And then because of those constant factors in our life, because he is constant and his attributes don't change, our circumstances change, but he doesn't. Then we see in verse two, it has a fantastic word for us. It says, students of the word. Verse two begins off with the word therefore. So what that means is you you can take all this stuff in verse one, which isn't that much, it's profound and deep, but it's not a lot of words. But you take that and then you can say, therefore, like because of the truths of verse one, because that is constant, who God is and his characteristics, therefore, we can see what the consequences are or the ramifications of that. So what is the therefore? Well, therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives away. Therefore, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea and and though its waters roar and foam and though the mountains tremble at its swelling, right? We will not fear in the midst of all that stuff. Therefore, we will not. God and his character, they bring stillness to us in our chaotic circumstances. This idea of being still reminds me of a great miracle of Jesus. If you recall, and it's recorded in three gospel accounts, so Matthew 8, Luke 8, and then Mark 4, records this amazing miracle in which the disciples are on the water, and now all of a sudden there's this huge storm that occurs. And you gotta remember, some of the disciples are trained fishermen, and they're screaming like, we're about to die. Like, I get it that the tax collector, Matthew slash Levi, is freaking out, because he's like, hey, I just count money. But he's looking to the fishermen saying, you know, why don't you get the the boat under control. So they awaken Jesus, and he says very simply to this chaotic storm, peace, be still. And instantly, the waves calm, the wind stops, and there's peace on the water. Though the waters roared and foamed, as Psalm 46 says, in our case, in light of this, this you know, the disciples, says they, they, they um, 
what's the wording? They, they were astonished or they marveled at who Jesus was. Any of them who would have maybe read Psalm 46 for some reason recently, they might be recalling even this same verse in verse two. You know, though the waters roared and foamed, the Son of God was their refuge and strength and present help in the disciples' time of need. So as we keep working through Psalm 46, we see more information that helps us understand what it means to be still and what it means to respond to God and allow him uh, to, to walk us through this. So Psalm 46, it describes in verses four, five, six, and seven. Oh, let me read a little bit of it. It says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And it says, God is in the midst of her. He shall, or she, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. And then it goes on to describe just this intense uh, you call it a national war. The language of this psalm is similar to what we might feel or see in the news. Some of us see this at work and you read on this and you are an analyst with this and yet whether it's today or whether it's that time or any of the years and the wars in between, we see that God is steady. He is constant in the midst of all of this. In this verse, in this section here, God is called several different names of God. He's called the Most High, He's called the Lord of hosts, and he's called the God of Jacob. That's significant to us. It reminds us that the, the author is telling us, hey, re- remember who God is, not just, in, not just who you, you might want him to be, but remember who he has been in the past as you are looking at the circumstances of today. Look and remember that God of yesterday is the same God today. Spiritual stillness, it involves Remembering the previous acts of God, his faithfulness, his provision, his protection, his love, his, com- his comfort in the midst of our distress, when he has moved, when he has been there. For many of us, his salvation, we could say. It is in those moments of uh, whatever we may need from the Lord that we look as to how he has worked in the past and we can recognize that spiritual stillness is a very active practice that we must have as Christians. When you think of stillness, you think of like a pause or, or nothingness. Well, I would push back and say in, in a spiritual sense, stillness before God is very active. It's listening with expectancy. It's praying with intentionality, right? Not just random words that you're saying. Not trying to sound impressive. Not trying to, I don't know, pray, pray a prayer that you heard somebody else pray. You're like, that was, that was a good prayer. I'm gonna say that again. But like a genuine prayer before the Lord. It's worshiping with thoughtfulness. Again, not just letting words roll off your tongue from what you see on the screen, but you're actually thinking about the words and what they mean. Spiritual stillness is very active. At times, we see that God's actions are very expressive, and other times it is quite calm. I think about 1 Kings 19. In 19, it says this about Elijah when he was talking to the Lord there. And, um, and the words are this, uh, in verse 11, and he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper which other translations would say a sound or a thin silence or even a gentle breeze. We recognize that spiritual stillness is being able to hear God, listen to him, 
whether it's spectacular and obvious, like a, like a health miracle that you experience. I mean, that's just a giant neon sign in life. Or something that's very uncommon, something that is very simple, and if you're not looking and listening, you'll miss it. Let's look at the rest of Psalm 46 here. It ends with these words. I'll read all of it. It'll help us process this. It says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. And then it says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. As we conclude this psalm, we see that the author is exalting God and praising Yahweh for his just character. So when he brings a righteous vengeance upon the guilty for the glory of his name and the good of his people. That's why it starts off in verse 8, behold the works of the Lord. This reality reminds us of the spiritual stillness that involves um, detecting the presence of God at times uh, when it is... um, so uh, when it is more of a violent nature, right, as opposed to what we were just talking through a moment ago with a stillness or a quietness. It is distinct. He brings desolations upon the earth's guilty. Now, this happens for us, this, this description in verse, um, these verses in this chapter, they allude to what Jesus did for us. We are, before the Lord as humans, guilty, and we need atonement. And so Jesus stepped in that place. He atoned for our sin so we can have peace with God. So in a, in a, a, a deep spiritual way, we see this applied toward all folks. However, this description is something that is common of God, particularly in the Old Testament, and then also at the end of time. Throughout history, God has displayed moments of heavenly recompense, what I'll call it, from God's judgment upon the Egyptians who brutally exploited the people of Israel, right, and then Moses let them out, to people like the Midianites who oppressed God's nation, so he used judges to roll in and uh, free the people over and over again. But no moment in biblical history is as fierce as the one that is to come. Revelation 6 describes this as the day of the Lord. Let me read for you these words. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. This is Revelation 6, verse 12. It says, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the moon Oh, and the full, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, right, screaming out to the, to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? Psalm 46 gives us a small picture of what is to come one day. In the midst of executing righteous judgment, our God tells us in the words in verse, uh, verse 10, right? Like right in the midst of all this just thunderous moment here in Psalm 46. God says, be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That is a lesson we, we talked about at length when we did our Daniel series, recognizing God's on the throne, even though there are earthly rulers who look quite powerful and look like they are the ones orchestrating the details of global affairs when in fact it is God who is truly on the throne and he will one day demonstrate this. And at times he does in smaller ways, but one day that will be uh, all demonstrated. And then this last verse, right? So if you walk through this whole psalm, if, if we put music to this psalm, and if you thought through how you have experienced this, then you conclude it with the fantastic words of verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I think that's sort of a statement because it's already been said back in another verse. You find yourself just kind of rolling through it, and then you're like, period. All right, I, I, I read the psalm for the day, and now uh, I could check that off my Bible reading for the day or whatever it might be. But in this case, when you get to the end, after walking through all the other things with uh, descriptions and complimentary verses, you find yourself saying, yeah, he, he is the Lord of hosts. And yes, his presence is with us. He is with us. And he is the God of Jacob, and he is our fortress. So we find ourselves using this verse to, to relook at this definition I started off with. Spiritual stillness is the practice of recognizing who God is what God does, and then our ability to find absolute fullness in him. And again, I contrast that with ourselves because we will look for fullness in a lot of other areas, including ourselves. Now, before I pray to like conclude, what I wanna talk through is just recognizing this is, this is one thing to, to uh, teach on and to find ourselves really like, um, I don't know, spiritually and, 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 and mentally stimulated to say like, yes, I want to be still before God. I want to know that he is God. If he is my God, I want to know him to the best I can this year. That's a great resolution in the midst of all the other ones that you may have for yourself, for your family, uh, for a church, for a workplace. Unfortunately, we allow there to be these barriers between these words and our heart. So let me talk through four obstructions real quick that I think, beginning even today, if you make a commitment saying, I want to be still and know that he is God, here are four obstacles you come across and, uh, and any one of these, including today, will be present in your life. The first one is busyness. What is the, one of the best ways to obstruct us from being still in a spiritual stillness way and knowing he is God? The first one's busyness. I don't know many of the, I don't know many people in our church family who are not uh, substantially bored with nothing to do. Most of us have a job, and some of us have a job and a side hustle, and some of us have a job and a side hustle and a baby. <laughs> like you're carrying all of them at the same time. And it's just a lot. And so when it comes to the busyness, let's just recognize no one was busier than Jesus, and yet he made time with his father. After feeding the 5,000, I love, I'm just treasure, I lean on this. Neil and I have talked about this at length, uh, just and, uh, because Neil really has a deep, uh, 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 he's a deep conviction, but also the ability to communicate the, the value of rest in our spiritual lives. Listen to these words in Matthew 14, right after Jesus feeds the 5,000, it says, and Jesus had dismissed the crowds, and then he went up to the, uh, on the mountain by himself to pray. 
and when evening came, he was there alone. You know, friends, there is a great importance of alone time with God. And yeah, I get like certain seasons of life make it difficult. I'm in that, so like, yeah, I understand that. But there is no substitute uh, for alone time with God to the degree that you can. Um, and if it, if, it, if, it, uh, if it has changed from like a, one season of life to the next, you don't have to beat yourself up over that if it's less time than you may want. But do you get alone with God? I think about that. I've been working through this book on Elijah by Chuck Swindoll. And he said this statement. He said, we must be willing to be set aside so that we can listen for God's voice in the stillness, away from the cacophony of everyday life, away from our own busyness, our own agendas, our own desires. We need to learn the deep and enduring value of the hidden life. And I amen that. So I think one of the first things is just busyness in our lives. Another thing that would be an, an obstruction to a stillness before the Lord is what I'll categorize as chaos. Right, this is when there is just the, the curveball that comes. The phone call you didn't expect, like you had a plan, and you even had a plan with margin. And then whatever it is just throws that out the window, and you're trying to tackle something you didn't see on the day. It could be losing a job, it could be a health scare, it could be something with a child. This is when you have those feelings of stress or worry or fear that just get stirred up within you. Uh, particularly uh, disorienting is if it's the first time that this sort of scenario has happened because you're like unfamiliar with what to do or how to navigate that. And if that's you, I wanna remind you of the story I read a moment ago or I mentioned a moment ago with Jesus calming the storm. Because for some of us, that is exactly how we would describe our lives. Well, be like the disciples. Turn to Jesus and allow him to breathe peace and stillness in the midst of it. Even if the circumstances don't change, remember that he is right there. He is present. He is in the midst of it. He hasn't abandoned you, because that's one of the great lies the enemy will tell you. You're not alone in it. Not only do you have Jesus with you, but you're surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ who wanna walk with you in that, or they've been there too. There's a lot more support than your mind might think. And so let us remember a story like that. There's this author, he says something along these lines. Uh, it's not, I like where he's going. It's not exactly this, but I think he uses certain words that help us unpack this. He says, the reason so many of us are so overwrought and tense and distracted and anxious is that we've never mastered the art of living one day at a time. Physically, we do live a day at a time, but mentally, we live all three tenses, you know, like past, present, and future, all of these at once. And so for many of us, you know, if you're in the midst of that storm, I challenge you, just take, just take that one moment at a time, that day at a time. Uh, you do not know what the next day looks like, especially with um, trying to work through something that's a massive challenge. So chaos, that can, that can cause us to feel this obstacle of being still. A third one would, would be leisure, right? This is when your headspace is so full of uh, fun <laughs> that you just are unable to hear God and you don't even allow yourself to be quiet before him. 
and, and I wanna describe this, because some of you are like, hey, don't stomp on my fun, right? It's January 1, I, I got big plans for the year. Hey, you know, enjoy your plans, that's fine. But think about just with entertainment, we can fill our mind, like we'll watch a show and then watch the next show, watch a movie, and then you're like, I'm gonna do a double feature today. Or you watch a football game, it's three or four hours, and you're like, I'm gonna watch another football game. It's like, we just like can fill our days with entertainment, and that is not, any uh, shortage available to us uh, from something on a screen or, uh, I don't know, just really, well, I just keep thinking a lot of screen time. So that is like one area, but there's, in addition to that, there's social media. We can give a lot of our time to what, uh, now I think the term is doom scrolling and just finding yourselves working through stuff and like, you don't even, you're just wasting time, uh, different hobbies, even vacation. Uh, that could be too much. And now, <clears throat> When I talk through this, what I'm saying is we, uh, we tend to fill our, our days and our plans with endless distractions, even on a Sabbath day, even a day where we can say, you know, I want to make today's the Lord's day. And then we can just find our mind and our heart distracted rather than worshipful, rather than still. I was thinking about this because a couple weeks or a couple days ago, all my siblings were in town for Christmas, and so all the cousins are there. I think there's like ten. There's a lot of kids. I kind of lose track. <laughs> yeah, it's ten. Four, three, two, and one. <laughs> right? Ten kids. I think ten grandkids. And so uh, they're all wanting to eat Christmas cookies for like breakfast, and then they're all wanting to eat Christmas cookies for lunch, and then and for dinner, and like just throughout the day, right? And I was thinking, no, you have to eat healthy stuff. And I think I, one of them I gave like a philosophical answer to, you know, not really that much, but for their little mind. It was like, hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with a Christmas cookie. Hey, you can enjoy this, but just don't eat it now. <laughs> don't eat too much of it. You gotta have it in moderation and you gotta know like your limits. And I kind of went down that route. Well, for many of us, we tend to do this when it comes to leisure and a stillness before the Lord. So if you are in that trap, I wanna urge you to pray that the Lord would stir in your heart greater affections for him than any of these other things that are still, uh, they're still enjoyable and good things in their own place. But don't let those have a greater pull on you than uh, the sweetness and the stillness before God. And then lastly would be pride. This fourth obstacle of pride, this is self-reliance. This is, this is us wanting to hear our own voice rather than God's voice. And it's a very dangerous place to be because then we want to hear our plan for life rather than God's plan for our life. Our plans and our dreams for our kids' lives and, and not God's plans and dreams for our kids' lives. And what's unfortunate is in these cases, we genuinely, we genuinely believe we know better than God knows when it comes to a situation or whatever that may look like. And so if you have, and we all have to various degrees, but if you'd say, listen, the, the biggest obstruction I have before stillness with God, the biggest obstruction is pride, well then allow words like Proverbs 21.4 to be um, a rebuke and to bring about confession in your heart. It says, haughty eyes, a proud heart, and evil actions are all sin. It's so, it's so simple, but it allows us to say, yeah, I, 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 I am not uh, the one that should be directing my paths. I wanna allow God to do that and to speak to that. So, there we have it. Maddie, you and the team, if you would like to uh, lead us in this last song.
This new year is beginning with a lot of celebration and a lot of fresh dreams. I know I have some for myself and I have a lot of fun things I'm excited to share with us as a church family as we move forward throughout this whole quarter. However, I want to challenge us to begin the year with spiritual stillness before God, our holy, loving, compassionate, forgiving God. Stillness before him to hear his voice, to allow him to direct our paths, confessing, like as the Holy Spirit draws our attention, like confessing any of those obstructions that may be there. I'll say them again in case we forgot. Busyness, chaos, leisure, or pride when things have gotten in the way between us hearing God. And as we do that, we will know God more deeply and more fully this year. And that'll be a wonderful place to be next year at the end of the year, or at the end of this current year, to say, wow, look what God has done in my life. It begins with stillness before him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,